What's up, guys? Today we got another special guest on. Uh, first two-time guest, Crunch Time 95. How are you doing, my guy? Damn, two-time guest. I feel honored. But, you know, I'm kind of bummed that Norm's not a Raptor, but we'll see how the season goes. Yeah, so I brought you on to talk about that. So let's get right into it. The Raptors obviously trade Norman Powell in exchange for Gary Trent Jr., who, you know, we can talk about in a minute, had his debut with the Raptors last night. And Rodney Hood, another young guy with some promise, obviously had the Achilles injury in 2019. But uh, what was your first impression of this trade? Well, I'm surprised. The first thing was I'm surprised Masai didn't get a pick in that deal. Um, I was kind of sad to see Norm go. But analyzing it a few days later, I realized it's a good t- like it's a good trade for both sides. Just because with Trent Jr., I feel like the Blazers wanted him to develop right away just because they're in a win-now mode with Dame. But with our development system, I think he'd be great. And for Portland side, I think Norm is an established scorer in this league, so he'll help that team tremendously. Yeah, and like you said, Gary Trent Jr., from the Raptors' perspective, 22 years old, high upside, very, very high upside, super, mm-hmm. super good defender, better than Norm is right now, in my opinion. Um, averaging 15 a game. He's obviously a great catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. He's trying to develop that full-rounded game. So he's going to be the kind of guy that's a bit more off-ball for the Raptors versus Norman Powell's a guy who needs the ball in his hands. He's just a certified bucket getter, uh, really solidified himself as that this year, obviously averaging over 20 a game uh, as a starter, 50-40-90 guy. He seems like he's going to be coming off the bench because otherwise they're going to be running a bit undersized with Dame, CJ, and Powell. But Obviously, he started their first game last night, had 20 points, um, was balling out. But, you know, mm-hmm. for like you said, for Portland, it's a good move because you're in win-now mode. You've got Damian Lillard in his prime. You've got CJ McCollum playing his best basketball of his career. Obviously, had an injury that kind of took him out from becoming an all-star this year. But I think that in combination with Nurkic coming back, this team is ready to win it all. The West is wide open with... The Lakers struggling with injuries. They didn't make a big marquee move. They were trying to get Kyle Lowry, which we're going to talk about a bit later. That's probably the weirdest thing uh, that happened at the deadline. But, yeah, I think it sucks as a Raptors fan because Norman Powell is a guy that, you know, you love him as a player. Um, He's been with the team. He wanted to stay with the team. He wanted to sign long-term. But from a front office perspective, I also understand that, you know, he's going to be getting paid, what, $20 million a year after the season because of how good he's been. So if he's getting that much money, the Raptors don't have that much cap available to, you know, even though they have his bird rights, they can sign into the luxury tax. I don't really see them wanting to be booked up long terms with him, with obviously their big three with OG Siakam and Van Vliet in there. Mm -hmm. So they're really trying to um, empty the ship a little bit, get Gary Trent, who can approximate Norman Powell's off ball production a little bit. Um, but yeah, that's, that's sort of my big take. Uh, do you have any other takes from this trade? Like, where do you see maybe where Gary Trent's going to be in a couple of years? Do you see him developing? Do you think he has high upside or do you think that this was more of just like a, a move, a more of a panic move maybe by Masai Ujiri? Well, I'll, well, when I realized, I didn't realize he was 22. I thought he was like 25, 26. So when I realized his age, I was like, damn, because when you think about it, we haven't really had a prospect in the past couple of years. It's mostly been, like, fourth-year guys, like uh, Flynn, Davis, uh, Van Vliet. So we have a pretty young prospect, and I know our development, like developmental aspect of our team can develop him pretty well. I think he has a tremendous amount of upside. I think 
it wasn't a panic move by Masai because he sees Trent Jr. develop into an incredible player in a couple of years. Yeah, and like you said, the undrafted thing is big. Um, the Raptors, before the trade deadline, had eight undrafted players on the roster. That's a lot of undrafted guys. Yeah. They have depleted talent on the bench. And when you look at the bench, you know, in 2016, when, you know, the bench mob was at its apex, 2017, I think, is really when it took full form because you had Van Vliet on the bench, you had Siakam on the bench, Powell, DeLon Wright, uh, and that's, like, basically a, four guys who are now too. starting. And Pirtle, five yeah. guys who are starting in the NBA mm-hmm. right now. And you go to from that to eight undrafted guys. Obviously, they've got Baines, who's undrafted, doesn't really count. Van Vliet developed into a great guy. But then you've got like Davis, you've got Matt Thomas, a lot of your bench players, Boucher are these undrafted gems. And there's only so many of those guys you can get that can actually be productive in the NBA. Um, we saw Masai Jerry get rid of two of those undrafted guys for second round picks. What's your take on that, actually, by the way? Because I, I found that to be really weird. I understand the Matt Thomas move because he doesn't play. But I was actually kind of upset when he got rid of Terrence Davis. It had to be some kind of locker room thing, in my opinion. Uh, mm-hmm. what's your, what was your take on, on those moves? Well, I saw on Twitter and like online that he made those moves to free up two spots in case a Lowry trade fell through. Because I know they're really deep in talks with Miami. And they wanted uh, Hero and Duncan. So I feel like those two were just like, to, you know, make some roster spots. But I felt like, I know it was kind of late, but he could have done those. He could have traded those two for some bigs, like, because we we're honestly like depleted at that spot for our team. And we saw that yesterday in the game. Like we just got demolished on the offensive rebounds. So like you, I was surprised too, but I kind of got where he was going for that. Yeah, I think those moves were, like you said, to make open roster spots so that a trade with Miami could happen. And the big move from my understanding was essentially what Miami wanted to offer was Precious, um, like Kendrick Nunn, who's really more of a filler. Um, mm-hmm. And then Duncan Robinson was the main chip and then salary filler. So those are a lot of bodies that you're trying to put onto this Raptors team. Um, obviously moving, getting rid of those two guys opens up those roster spots, but the Raptors were strong tied on getting Kyle Lowry, and in return, they wanted Tyler Hero. That was the guy, the mm-hmm. trade chip they wanted so badly. But as you know, Miami is one of those teams that's a little bit, um, you know, they they don't like to make moves that they think they could lose long term, right? Yeah. I, I feel like they had this understanding that if they add Kyle Lowry, even though they make them better, I, I have a feeling that, you know, they didn't think it would take them over the top, right? Like, I just don't think that uh, the front office really believed that this move for Kyle Lowry, like specifically Pat Riley didn't believe that adding Kyle Lowry to the roster would mm-hmm. get them to the, the promised land to which they're willing to get rid of that young prospect in Tyler Hero because if he thought they could win a title by adding Lowry, then I think he would have 100% did it, right? But I think adding Lowry was more of just a safety net to maybe yeah. try and get them to the finals, add some more identity to a team that's already got a ton and just give them a little bit more veteran presence in that backcourt next to Goran Dragic, obviously. But, yeah, let's go right into the Lowry trade because all this stuff was weird. Um, no trade that actually did happen, but, you know, the time hit 3 o'clock. I was pretty sure that something was still going to happen. Me you too. know, trades trickle in until about 3.30. I thought, you know, once I saw Philly dropped off, they signed – They sorry, they traded for George Hill in that three-team deal. And then I felt like, okay, there's one suitor down. Um, 
Taylor Horton Tucker was the main piece for the Lakers, and they still weren't willing to give him in a trade either, which mm-hmm. I found kind of surprising. I know he's young and promising, but you know, I feel like Masai Jiri has a certain value that he had Kyle Lowry at, but he did not want to uh, get rid of him unless he met that expectation. What was your take on the whole Kyle Lowry conundrum? So after that Nuggets game when he threw up the peace sign, I was like, kind of, I was pretty sad. Because I really thought this was the end. I really, I made a video like beforehand because I honestly expected 99.9% that he was going to get traded. And the whole day was just me like reliving his highlights and just realizing this is the end. Um, so once that 3 p.m. deadline hit and nothing happened, I was pretty shocked. I thought the Heat would have got a deal done. But to be honest, if I, as Pat Riley in his head, I do understand where he's coming from too. Because there's no guarantee Kyle Lowry would have resigned in the offseason too. And to give up Tyler Hero for possibly two months of Kyle Lowry is not worth it either, in my opinion. Even though Kyle Lowry is great and he can take that team to the promised land with Jimmy and Bam, I do agree with Pat Riley and I do agree that they should have kept Tyler Hero. But I was only shocked. But I, I'm happy to see that Lowry's going to stay here for the foreseeable future. For sure. Tyler Hero has shown superstar potential, like you've talked about. Uh, he had some flashes in the bubble and in the playoffs yeah. specifically, where mm-hmm. he his value skyrocketed. He's an untouchable, right? They wouldn't trade him for Lowry. They wouldn't even put him in a hardened package. That's yeah. how untradeable he is. Um, at, just 20, at just 21 years old, um, only averaging 15 a game. Did you say they're, uh, they're going to regret the hardened move, or they would regret trading Tyler the, Hero? The, the hardened move. You see how he's balling right now? Him... Butler and Bam, that's like... Oh, my goodness. They would have been, been insane. Yeah. They should have pulled the trigger because James Harden is... No, no offense to Tyler Hero. I don't think he's ever going to be as good as James Harden, even at his no, absolute no, no, peak. No, no, no. He can't reach James Harden MVP level. Maybe he mm-hmm. can be a multiple-time All-Star sometime down the line, but I don't think he's going to be an All-NBA transcendent Hall of Famer like Harden is and at 30 years old or however old Harden is. I know he's only around that age. Um, I think he <laughs> would have added so much to that team. They would have been in my opinion, up there in terms of being the favorite. They made the finals last year. You add James Harden, there's no question they're the favorite in the Eastern Conference, especially when he doesn't get put into the Nets, um, into that Nets roster, right? Because a lot of the time Mm -hmm. you're making these moves to keep guys away from other teams as well, right? That's why Messiah Jerry was leveraging Philly against Miami. And as soon as Philly dropped off, Messiah lost his leverage a little bit, Mm -hmm. right? He could no longer have the opportunity to really get Tyler Hero. I think he would have had that chance if, if Philly was like, we'll give you Maxi and Thibel, right? That was the, the piece they couldn't get with Thibel. Like, Masai Jerry wanted Maxi, Thibel, and two picks. From my understanding, they were able to get Maxi and two picks, but they couldn't get Thibel in that trade, which was really the piece that Masai wanted. And as soon as they drop off, they add George Hill, they lost all that leverage. That's a good pickup for them, though, George Hill. I think he's going to be a nice a nice addition um, mm-hmm. for them. And you know what? We could talk a little bit more, expand from the teams, because I think one of the more interesting trades is what the Chicago Bulls did, mm-hmm. which was adding um, Vucevic. And I'm pretty sure they gave away uh, Otto Porter for contract fill. Um, and then they gave a couple picks. And then that young that young center that they have, I, I'm dr- blanking uh, on his name Wend- right Wendell now, Carter Jr. Wendell Carter Jr. Yeah. So <laughs> what was your take on this trade? That was like the biggest world bomb because I did not expect. I didn't hear any talks of Vucevic going to Chicago, but looking at his stats, like he's been killing it this year, like twenty four and twelve, and adding that with Zach Levine scoring, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a good duo. They're gonna make some noise in the playoffs. 
in my opinion. I think they're really interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, the Chicago Bulls, they definitely are the winner of this trade. They got the better player right at the end of the day, and I think that's the more important thing here. You're giving away a couple top four protected picks, but as we know with the way the, the draft has worked for Chicago, they haven't been the best at actually getting assets from the trades. They got a couple good young guys in there that they've developed a little bit, but you know, Lowry Markin hasn't played out like we expected. Wendell Carter Jr., like, like we're talking about, has had injury concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that adding a guy like Vucevic gives them a secondary score, a big man. They need rebounding. Um, and this team becomes really interesting now because now you've got two all-stars on your team. And the only other team with two all-stars in the entire Eastern Conference right now is the Brooklyn Nets. No other team, I'm pretty sure, had two all-stars on their roster. Actually, maybe did Ben Simmons it. make the all-star team? Ben Simmons and, and Tatum and Brown. Yeah, and Tatum and Brown, yeah. Okay, I heard someone say that they're the only team with two All-Stars. Someone was lying on one of the podcasts I was listening to. But either way, yeah. they've got two All-Stars on their team. Now they're at the, you know, that interesting stage. I'm pretty sure they're somewhere in the in the East right now. I think they're in a playoff spot or at least on the outside looking in. They're really close. Uh, and as we know, the East is a little bit wide open. They're currently the 10 seed at 19-24. Felt like they need to make a move because now you can add another – all-star caliber player in there you can you know develop towards the future and as we know the bulls one of the bigger markets in the nba it's good for them to make a splash it's nice to see Mm -hmm. all right um are there any other trades that we saw in the trade deadline that were interesting to you that stood out uh in the east conference or the western conference well i can't believe the celtics got evan fournier for nothing i don't know what orlando was doing they could have got something they only he only gave he only went to the Celtics for two first-round picks. That's what we gave. We got that for Thomas and uh, Davis, and they weren't even doing much. You're giving that for, like, a 19-point-per-game score? That's crazy. Yeah, two second-round picks, and then they used that big Gordon Hayward trade exception uh, to basically fill them into the cap space. So <laughs> they mm-hmm. basically added a, a really solid guard there. Um, where do you think that vaults them in the Eastern Conference? Because as we know, they've been sliding a little bit. Um, so adding a guy in the backcourt that can – be a good scorer next to Marcus Smart without giving up any real players. Uh, obviously, they got rid of Tyson, that weird trade with Chicago, which was kind of surprising. But mm-hmm. uh, do, you, do you think the Celtics are amongst at least the top four in the East with, like, the Sixers, Nets, Bucks? Like, where do you put them on that ranking pedestal? I don't think this deal does anything for them, to be honest with you. They, they're still going to have those struggles that they'd be having this whole season because – Tatum and Brown are balling out, but you see Walker, Smart, and the other guys are not stepping up. It kind of reminds me of the 2017 Wizards where it was just John Wall and Bradley Beal playing well, and the rest of the team wasn't doing that great. And they made a similar move where they got Bogdan Bogdanovich in that deal, and they still weren't able to make it past the second round of playoffs. So I honestly don't see them getting to the second round. That's like my bold prediction. That, that's actually very um, – when you look at the Eastern Conference, the top of the East, you got the Sixers, the Nets, the Bucks, the Heat are the four teams. Uh, the Heat have lost six straight, actually, which is surprising. They've been kind of sliding. But mm-hmm. the, the Celtics, um, you know, they might not even be at that level of those other four teams. I think one healthy. And with the Heat adding Victor Oladipo now, which is a, an interesting move. Like, what do like you think you said, of that deal? You know, they, got, they, they got Fournier for nothing. The Celtics did. I think the Heat um, – I think it, it's a no. It's like kind of the backup that Pat Riley had, right? He was trying to get Lowry, couldn't get what he wanted, so his backup was to get Victor Oladipo, and I think he automatically raises their ceiling, and it does nothing to their floor because, um, in my opinion, if Victor Oladipo doesn't play out, you could just 
you know, bench him or, you know, just don't even play him, right? If if he's being – if he just doesn't pan out, you can just play him less minutes. Yeah. But if he plays to his capabilities, post-injury capabilities, which is like a 20-per-game guy, a solid scorer, something that Miami really needs because at the end of the day, they're a really good defensive team. They lack some of that offensive firepower. So I think that Old Depot is a good uh, player that they added. In my opinion, I think it – it makes them a little better. I don't think it moves the needle enough for them to Me be too. at the same level Me as too. the Nets or the Bucks. But uh, what was your take on that trade? Yeah, same same thing as you. I didn't think it was a good deal because they only gave up Bradley and Olenek, and those guys weren't that important to them. And if mm-hmm. Oladipo plays like he did in 2018, 2019, that's a, that makes him a ton better. But I don't think that moves the needle like you said because it still doesn't answer a lot of their, like, a lot of their problems if he doesn't play well. So I don't think that deal was that great. Uh, what did you think of the, what did you think of the Nuggets deal with Gordon? I think that was, a, I thought that was a great pickup for them. The, yeah. The reason it was a great pickup is they gave up basically nothing. Gary Harris, RJ Hampton, I think was in that trade and maybe a first round pick as well. Like that's not a big haul for Aaron Gordon, who also adds some value to them as a guy who you can play off ball. A guy who can shoot threes. You know, he's been in and out this season with, uh, some injuries. He's also had inconsistencies in his career. He's a guy that every mm-hmm. year you pick him in fantasy because you think he's going to have that next yeah. level. You know there's some potential there. If there's a guy who can unlock it, it's Nikola Jokic, right? Playing him off ball, putting him in the dunker spot. Nikola Jokic can spread the floor. So he's not playing with a clogger. Like, you know, Vucevic, even though he's not really a clogger, he's still a big man. That's a post-dominant guy. So I think that for Gordon, you can play him off ball. You can get him some back screens and get him easy lobs, easy opportunities to really put his numbers, get his numbers up. I, I don't know if, in my opinion, it really makes them significantly better. Like, I still don't mm-hmm. think they're on the level of the, you know, the Lakers, the Clippers, and even I'm actually putting the Jazz, in my opinion, at that level right now because I'm personally very high on them. They played the Raptors, uh, as you know, a few days ago, uh, and or may, maybe it was like a week ago or whatever. But either way, uh, when they were playing them, I noticed with this team, I was like, man, they're seven deep with mm-hmm. all really good players who can – in theory, all of them can put up 20 points. When you look at their starting five, and off the bench, you've got Jordan Clarkson, who's, you know, sixth man of the year, a guy who's taken a significant leap this year. And I think Bogdanovich, either Bogdanovich comes off the bench or Joe Ingles comes off the bench. But either way, whatever they do, they've got seven guys who can really give it to you uh, on both ends of the floor. And what is your take on, on first of all, the Nuggets trade? Because I kind of sidetracked. And then maybe – some of your Western Conference, Eastern Conference um, best teams, maybe like some predictions? The Nuggets deal, I feel, because they lost Jeremy Grant, that was a good a good replacement for them. Because Jeremy Grant, people didn't realize how much of a role he had on that team last year. So now they can play Porter and uh, Gordon. Porter doesn't have to play the four, and he's not that great defensively. So it hides that for them. Um, like you said, it puts him in the dunker spot. He can cut. Jokic can find them, but it doesn't put them over the top. Like you said, I still feel it's Clippers, Lakers, or Jazz in the West. For the East, well, sorry, I forgot Phoenix too. Phoenix looks pretty pretty good. Yeah, what are your well. thoughts on the Suns? Like, do you think they're a legit contender, or do you think they're maybe a level below? I think they're a contender. When, they have, when you have someone like Chris Paul to unlock the full potential of Booker and Aiden, I feel like they're going to do some damage in the playoffs or they're going to make, you know, they're going to give the Clippers or the Lakers a competitive second round. I feel 
they're on they're not okay they wouldn't be on that level but slightly below but i think they're a great team do you think chris paul deserves mvp considerations considering that this suns team last year didn't even make the playoffs uh were a bit of a wreck maybe they've Mm -hmm. developed some chemistry a lot of those other guys have become better but i think that chris paul's been that anchor for this team and now they go from finishing you know ninth tenth i think it was actually tenth because of the play-in in the west last season to now they're second like do you think that chris ball has any consideration for mvp i think he has some consideration but you saw their bubble play they're on that trajectory to be at least the six seed seven seed but i do i he deserves some consideration but you look at the pool of candidates in the mvp conversation like Jokic, Embiid, harden again Giannis, lebron i don't think he comes close to their stats because if you put those yeah, same, sure. if you put those same players on the Suns, they're doing the same thing, right? Yeah, and I think the stats is going to be the big thing for him because Chris Paul is is more of an intangibles guy, similar to Kyle Lowry, obviously on a different level than Kyle Lowry, but he gives you those intangibles of a leader, a floor general, right? The ultimate floor general in the NBA. Uh, and then you know you look at his stats; he's probably averaging something like fifteen and seven, and you're like, this guy isn't an MVP. But he has the same effect that like Steve Nash has on the game where mm-hmm. your team will win 60 games. He'll just score a bit. He'll be more of like the facilitator. He gives it on both ends, uh, specifically with Chris Paul. But yeah, to me, same thing. Like I think Nikola Jokic is the leader in the MVP conversation. They're right now they're fifth, though, in the Western Conference. So I don't know if the, how high they have to vault for him to actually win it. I feel like if you don't have home court, you shouldn't be in consideration, really. But mm-hmm. given the the weird situation of this this season, I think it's definitely in play. I also think that, you know, Embiid's at the top of that race, obviously, with the injury. It's been out a while. I think that Harden is also in that race, too. So maybe we can transition to the East a little bit, talk about um, who do you think could win the MVP from the Eastern Conference perspective? I'd say you have to give it to him. Well, before his injury, it would have been Embiid. But I agree with Harden because he came out and said it like flat out that he should be the MVP because he's been playing without Durant and even Irving for most of the time. He's still leading that team. So I think Harden should be the MVP in the East at least because I think Giannis, we see, we, we like, I think he has voters fatigue in the sense that because he's won in two years in a row, people are not going to vote for him. And he is putting some incredible stats up, but I put, I'd say Harden. I think that also the what how he, they flamed out in the playoffs plays mm-hmm. a factor. Even though it is a regular season award, voters automatically like this isn't our MVP because they flamed out in that second round. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I just think that with Giannis, even though statistically and the team success wise, he definitely has a really good case. If you were to just look at the you know if you were to just watch the NBA, and not consider any context of last season of what happened in the playoffs specifically. You'd say this guy's probably, you know, top two, three, top five MVP, but, you know, he's not really going to get that consideration because of that narrative behind it. Um, yeah. But I think the Bucks are better this year. I'm interested to see if they can make a push, if they can get past some of those demons. Since game three of the Eastern Conference Finals in 2019, this team hasn't been the same. And maybe it's because they lost Brogdon down the line. Maybe, you know, maybe it's because they found the way to build that wall around Giannis. They built that blueprint to stopping that team, mm-hmm. but... Hopefully, Drew Holiday can help take them over the top as a guy who replaces Brogdon from that year. Uh, gives you a guy who can handle the ball in the clutch. And, you know, maybe if this season doesn't play out well, Hoser gets fired and they put in a guy who can be a little more competent in that front office. Yeah. I feel like Giannis is, like, similar to Shaq in the sense he's great in the lower post, but he needs, like, a 1A. Like, he needs, like, a Kobe in the sense, like, he needs a shot maker in the clutch because Giannis 
isn't that player to develop that yet. So I think they need a player like that for him to be successful. And that's exactly why they added Drew Holiday. He's not that level, mm-hmm. obviously, but he's a guy he's a great who great shot, shot. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And Middleton, too, mm-hmm. makes them a little more deadly on the wing uh, with Giannis in there, too. Uh, yeah, that's a perfect point, actually, putting it with the Kobe Shaq thing. You need that 1A, that guy who can help you with those other facets of your game because he's obviously a deadly player. But, uh, yeah, I think there's some limitations. Do you think the 76ers are title contenders? I think they're title contenders, but to be honest with you, the Eastern Conference is Brooklyn a bust. I think Brooklyn's going to – it's Brooklyn's, like – Brooklyn's should be the – instant like contender and right. i believe they should they should go to the finals easily not easily but i feel like their team is too like that three-headed monster they have like, no one can stop that yeah i think the the one team that interests me the most is actually milwaukee against them i feel like the celtics have fallen off i think miami also can be in that conversation but um yeah i think that there are some teams that can challenge them and mb will be a problem if they were to play mm-hmm. head-to-head in that series i'm really excited for the playoffs though but yeah, thanks a lot for coming on, man. I really appreciate your time. Uh, any last words uh, that you have about any of this stuff or, uh, you know, maybe share your page so that people can, you know, follow you. Obviously, give great con- content around the Raptors. Um, I've reposted multiple of your videos because your timing yeah, is, mm-hmm. is crazy, man. Your timing is perfect. Your videos are hilarious. Uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. Yeah, thank you. Um, always great to come on your podcast. It's always great to talk with you. Hope we can do Absolutely, this Absolutely, man. Yeah, for sure, bro. We'll do it again. Maybe we'll do it before the, the playoffs start. We'll see what the Raptors do. Um, actually, one last prediction because we didn't really talk yeah. about our Raptors. Uh, what the, so right now they're 11th, 18 and 27. They're 1 and 9 under the last 10. Where do you see them being by the end of the season? Well, we know the players are going to push for the playoffs, but I don't see them making the playoffs just because Masai didn't address their biggest concern at the deadline, which is some bigs. We've mentioned this before while watching the game yesterday. In the clutch, they were just getting demolished on the offensive rebounds, which made them lose the game. And there isn't any bigs on the buyout market that are going to help that. So I think this is going to be a soft rebuild in the sense that we're not going to make the playoffs. And we're going to use the lottery pick that we get. And Masai might make some deals in the offseason. So I think we'll be 12th or 11th. What do you think? I, I've i been really trying to be optimistic, but I'm just going to list off the te- the 10 teams ahead of the Raptors, and, and you tell me which one you think they can pass. And and here's a note about it, though. The Raptors are right now, um, they're two games back of the 10 seed, which are the Bulls, which I think are going to be better since they had Vucevic. And then the next team that's ninth, because they have to be at least 10th to get in the play-in, right, to have an yeah, opportunity yeah. for the playoffs. So right now, if you look at the play-in, you've got, Celtics, right? I'm just gonna actually I'm just gonna go five down four down because you know you got the Hornets, the Knicks, the Hawks, all of these teams are above five hundred right now. The Celtics, the Heat, the Pacers, the Bulls, the Raptors. But I don't know who the Raptors can overturn, right? Now that they're already three and a half games back of the Pacers, not a ton of games left, right? It's a short season. They've got maybe 30 games left, not even. Obviously, they can make a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff can go right, right, in that in that time frame where they can maybe push, but I just don't see a team that they can pass. Like I've been thinking about it. I think the Bulls stay stay true. They improve a little bit. Uh, I think the Raptors improve as well. But I feel like they're they have to catch up to like the Pacers or a team like that. I feel like the the Hawks, the Knicks, the Hornets are getting too high in the standings and they're way too hot. 
the Hawks are eight and two in their last 10. <laughs> mm-hmm. It just seems like these teams are pulling it together and, and the Raptors have a tough rest of the season. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm still optimistic they can make it. I'm just been trying to me figure too, out how I, I'm trying to figure out how we, we need mm-hmm. to see them play some good basketball. They played really good actually last night, but like you said, biggest issue, offensive boards can't really control that. They need to add a big man. Gorgie Jang's the only realistic guy who can maybe help in that front. But even then that's not a significant move. That's going to, improve the mm-hmm. team, right? Like with Drummond coming on buyout market, uh, he doesn't even have the Raptors on one of the six teams that he's going to be uh, looking at. And most of those teams are like contender type teams, which makes a lot of sense for him. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think the Raptors need a guy who can grab a defensive board. It's frustrating sometimes as a Raptors fan watching them struggle on the yeah, playing great defense on the, the initial opportunity, but then mm-hmm. losing it on that second chance opportunity. You see OG yesterday he was like switching on Aiden, Chris Paul and Booker. You see all those, great defense possessions and they just mess it up with the offensive rebound and then that's how we lose the game the one thing i'll say though their defense is looking pretty good when you have um basically they're, they're switching a pick and it was going from gary Trent jr to og and obi and i was like that's a good that's a good pick and roll defense pair to have you know at the top on mm-hmm. wings their wing defense is good their big defense and their guard defense has been has been okay like their their guard defense has been okay uh, i think lowry's taken a step back this year a little bit I don't know if he's like trying a little less, but I just feel like he's been having a, you know, maybe he's taken a step down from what we saw in 2020 where he was taking over games. He was, he was the dog that he always has been, but now he feels a little bit more passive in the clutch. And, you know, that's Mm -hmm. probably a bit to do with Nick nurse, giving the younger guys the opportunities. We've seen a lot of Pascal Siakam game winning opportunities, the ball in his hand, a lot of that time in the clutch. Uh, even last night, you know, we saw him try and hit a floater over Aiton. He got fouled, got to the free throw line. That's the kind of stuff he does. He gets those opportunities uh, late in games. And, you know, Lowry hasn't getting those touches, so we don't really see him put his his stamp that we've seen on multiple games. He still does the charges, all that stuff. But, yeah, I feel like this team is slowly transitioning, obviously, to uh, the next generation. Mm-hmm. That's why Lowry's stepping back, letting Freddie run on the offense. OG, he's giving him more touches. So it's going to be interesting to see what we do in the offseason. Yeah, for sure. Uh, once again, thanks thanks for joining. Um, for all the fans who don't know, what's your Instagram handle? How can they follow you? Maybe what other social platforms do you have that they can follow you on? So I'm on Instagram at CrunchTime95. Similar to Raptors community, I post mostly content about the Raptors and classic highlights. So follow me there if you want to be a great Raptors fan. <laughs> if you don't follow him, you're not a great Raptors fan. That's what he's trying to say. <laughs> All right, my man. Thank you for joining. Um, I will talk to you soon. All right, bro. Take it easy. Peace out.